let's do just that by, um, let me open up in a word of prayer. Our gracious Lord and eternal God, how we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for you alone are God and there is none other. We praise you and give you thanks as the creator of all things in heaven and on earth, of things that were, things that were to be. We praise you, Lord, that you are sovereign, that you are king of the universe. And we praise you, Lord, that you have considered us the work of your hands. And not only considered, Lord, but that you have chosen us and chosen to love us. And we praise you and we thank you for that, Lord. We recognize we did not, did not deserve it. And yet, Lord, uh, you loved us enough to send your one and only son, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for your love for us, your sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, uh, for your, your life, your death, your resurrection, your ascension, Lord. We praise you and we thank you. For we recognize that all those benefits, Lord, uh, are ours in you. And, Lord, we praise you for that. Lord, we pray now that your spirit would be uh, with us as we consider your word, as we consider this uh, topic of community uh, to which your, your scriptures speak uh, so much about. So, Lord, we uh, thank you for this, uh, this hour, and we can be a community uh, um, by Zoom, and uh, we thank you for that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Good to see you all again. And we're going to be on lesson three. And I just want to do a kind of a, just a very quick recap of where we've, where we've been. Uh, recap of uh, lesson number one. Important points were that God exists in Trinitarian community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God's image is therefore plural and communal. And since we are made in God's image, community is an essential part or essential aspect of who we are. And then last week uh, was lesson two, and we started by noting the importance of the law of propinquity. And that's my, one of my favorite words, propinquity. Uh, okay. Anybody want to t- tell, tell us what that was, the law of propinquity? Wasn't it uh, the proximity? The more you spend time together, the more you with uh, each other, the closer you become with the people that you're spending time with. Exactly. Very, Amanda very- stole my answer. It's like Jeopardy. I couldn't get the button fast enough. Well, that's, that's what happens, John. You're not fast enough, you know. It's, so, <laughs> but yes, uh, it's, it has to do with, uh, proximity. Uh, being in the, uh, around people increases the chances of forming friendships and bonds and even romantic relationships. You know, this is, uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, uh, mothers, uh, this may sound sexist, but they, uh, you know, send their daughters to medical school. Not that they have the slightest chance of becoming a doctor, but because it's in the proximity of doctors to be, and they, you know, hoping that they would get married to a doctor. On the, you know, that's the, that's kind of the law of propinquity. Uh, be around the people that you most want to develop a relationship with. Now, um, so, uh, uh, we looked at some of the warnings also uh, in the scriptures of the kinds of people to avoid, uh, those with uh, bad characters, uh, the fool and the gossip. Uh, the scripture tells us quite frankly to avoid them, all right? They're trouble. And then finally, we talked about uh, two different aspects of a good friendship. 
anyone remember those two aspects of a good friendship? Functional versus formative. Yes, excellent. And uh, what does the functional aspect of friendship cover? Um, just being, uh, doing things together, enjoyment, self-satisfaction. Yes. I, have my no- I have my notes. Good, good. <laughs> All right. Um, sharing common interests, uh, which is basically said it could be self-centered and limiting and it's, it be narrow. I mean, it's a type of friendship, but it certainly can be, uh, you know, limiting in how far you go with the relationship. Yeah, it's an essential part of every relationship. I mean, to be functional, basically to have fun with one another, have shared interests. But the danger uh, that we talk about is that it, it can be too confining and too limiting. All right, mm-hmm. um, to uh, to the uh, overall picture of community. And then the second part was uh, the formative, and uh, the formative covered what aspects? Oh, it was um, being more vulnerable, mm-hmm. open to um, to minister. To... Yeah, yeah, minister, like... yes, yeah, minister to each other. Yeah. There's accountability. Teachable. Yes, yes. Open. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. Sal said something about that. No, I was wondering if we were here last week because Anna's got this down cold and I don't remember any of this. <laughs> so well, we took no- and my wife took notes. notes. Yeah, we have notes too, <laughs> but that's not helping. <laughs> oh, oh golly. Uh, yes, and but it was a form of tobacco. We talked about the you know, proverbs, you know, iron sharpening iron uh, versus uh, along that line, and uh, how it seeks to develop uh, the other person uh, and their, their strengths uh, to be honest with them about their weaknesses. All right, so it goes it goes much deeper than just mm-hmm. the functional, and, and both aspects are. Uh, should be within a good, healthy relationship, uh, a friendship, and certainly needed within a, a Christian uh, community. All right, good. Now tonight, uh, we, we want to address uh, some of the uh, uh, barriers to genuine community, particularly, uh, specifically in, in churches, okay? A Christian community. Uh, what are some of the, the barriers uh, that are there that uh, we need to be aware of, um, and if, in fact, we're, if we're guilty, we need to be re- repentant of, uh, because these obviously are hindrances and impediments uh, to genuine community. So the first one uh, that we have here is prejudice. Prejudice. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King once said, it's appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. At 11 a.m. on Sunday morning, when we stand and sing uh, that Christ has no east or west, we stand at the most segregated hour in this in nation. And this is tragic. Prejudice is a, certainly a, a barrier we would all agree with uh, for Christian community. Now, if one lives in a neighborhood where 
let's say 80 to 90% uh, is of one race, one would expect the church to mirror the neighborhood of 80 to 90 of that particular race. That only stands to reason. That goes also goes back a little bit about the propinquity. But if the church is is in an ethnically mixed neighborhood, let's say 30 black, uh, 30% white, 30% uh, Hispanic, 10% something else, one would expect the church to reflect that kind of mixture. But if that church in that type of neighborhood has only 90% of one ethnicity, then it needs to examine why. And, uh, you know, this, this idea of, of prejudice, we often talk about it strictly as far as race goes, uh, particularly between black and white. Uh, but in fact, uh, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be black and white. It could be any ethnicity. Somebody was sharing with me uh, that, uh, uh, you know, after a sermon that they can remember when Italians uh, suffered, uh, you know, uh, segregation and discrimination and, and hardship uh, just because they were different. And you can look at every any wave of immigrate, immigrants coming into the country and they all suffered, Irish, uh, Swedish, Finnish, uh, Latinos uh, more recently. Um, so all of that uh, goes into the, that, that mixture. But uh, prejudice uh, doesn't have to be uh, regarding race or ethnicity. Uh, there could be other prejudices that keep us from forming community. Um, anybody want to give an example of another prejudice? I think like socioeconomic status, uh, education. Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, yeah. yeah, professionals versus blue collar. Sure. Um, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, you, people just don't want to associate with certain people, um, because they feel that, uh, they're, they're more educated. Uh, they're richer. Um, you know, sometimes it's, a, you know, it could be even gender. Men, men and women. All right. Um, so some of these things can, can spill over and become a real hindrance to, uh, community life. Um, remember, remember that was what was happening in the New Testament. Uh, you know, the, the, the Jews, all right, didn't, didn't want to accept the Gentiles. All right. Um, and that was kind of, uh, the, the same thing that has come down, you know, through the ages. Uh, to the Jew, everyone was a Gentile except the, the Samaritans, who were probably even worse, and 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 they were basically uh, hated. Um, so, but these type of prejudices uh, keep us from having genuine Christian community. If we start to evaluate people other than uh, who they are in Christ with us, who you know, God's image bearers. Uh, of the same family because uh, Adam and Eve are our parents. Then we start going uh, into uh, a basically sinful territory. All right. Um, because we are, we are indeed putting up walls rather than breaking down walls. But if you have your Bibles there, somebody turn to Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1. 
through verse 20. This is just a great answer in, in the scriptures uh, in regards to uh, prejudice and hostility towards another group. Uh, can we get a volunteer to read? I know it's a little bit long, but it's I couldn't cut it, cut out any verse, so I just have put it, the whole thing in there. I'll do it. All right, John. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, and are the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the the circumcision, which is done by the body, by human hands, remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near to the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier of the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with his command and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostilities. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For though through him we both have access to Father by one spirit, consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Thank you, John. All right, this is just a a powerful and wonderful uh, passage talking about what Christ came to accomplish, to tear down that wall of hostility between the Jew and Gentile, between peoples, all right? And, uh, you know, and consequently, uh, they are no longer should be viewed as foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens. Okay, the community of God, the community of Christ, uh, all who are believers are fellow citizens, uh, uh, one with another, members of the same household, built on the same foundation, and Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. So 
in whatever shape it may raise its ugly head, there is no room for prejudice of any sort within the Christian community, for that is only a barrier uh, to community. So the question becomes for us, then how can we demonstrate that the walls are down and show acceptance to others in our church? Whether it be people of uh, different ethnicities or uh, education or um, agenda, uh, socioeconomics. Invite them over your house and let the children play together. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. All right, good. Good. Anyone else? Um, I think that it is knowing um, other people's culture and their history, uh, where they come from, uh, even... Uh, participating, uh, their food that they eat, uh, listen to their music, uh, you know, and sometimes, and, and, and even we use, uh, 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 the music as some kind of prejudice, just thinking that this type of music is the only one that we can listen in church, uh, uh because that's what we, you know, everybody taught us. Uh, uh, but I think it is, when we know somebody and we accept somebody as they are and we appreciate who they are, we start loving their culture and where they come from. Yeah, good, uh, Winston. I mean, obviously we want to, uh, uh, put a, kind of put out a welcome mat. We want to accept that person and affirm the person for who that person is. Okay. Um, for all the good that the, um, missionaries uh, have done in the past um, and they have done tremendous good. We can't detr- take anything away from that. Uh, the one thing that always seems to be a, a burn in the saddle was that not only did they preach the gospel, all right, but they wanted to make every nation European. You know, so, so you know, in, in the, the hottest Congo, you know, they want natives to dress in white ties, you know, white shirts and ties. And play the organ. <laughs> and play the organ. <laughs> right. Um, you know, so we have to get away from that uh, cultural uh, centricity. All right. And, you know, uh, applaud and affirm everybody's uh, own uh, culture. Uh, it's an important part. So, yes, and John is right. I mean, one way to do that is to uh, take, uh, you know, invite people over, have kids play with one another, uh, break break down walls. You know, eating together is a, is a great equalizer, isn't it? Um, you know, when you think about coming to the communion table every Sunday, uh, every uh, once, a, once a month Sunday, but, uh, you know, Christ has that table there set, uh, for us, and we all come as equals, needy sinners in, you know, seeking uh, uh, and reveling in grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so that's, that's a very good thing, to, you know, to, to, to share a meal. It's a, it's a great equalizer. 
you know, and, and initially one very, very simple thing that we can do and, you know, particularly uh, to visitors and such that come to the church, uh, this asking somebody, well, it's a little hard, we can't do it now in COVID, but in normal times, uh, ask somebody to sit with you. Hey, you know, I'm Bob Waldman. Uh, you know, why, why don't you join me? Sit here. All right. Uh, just a, a, something as simple as that. Uh, can open up uh, doors. You know, I, I, I remember years, years and years ago, decades, um, I greeted a, a young woman came into the church at Levittown. And I, I shook her hand, but I shook her hand with, with two hands. You know, I grabbed her hand and I said, oh, so nice to have you here. You know, what's your name? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, years later, when she was, she had found a husband, she was moving off uh, out of state. So she was giving her testimony. <laughs> but she went back to that. And she said, that was such a welcome. I knew I was in this church as a church home. Hmm. You know, you never know what simple little things will have a profound effect on people. You know? Um, and Can I ask a question? Yes, you may. Yeah, so I agree completely. And if we have visitors to our church, whether they're believers or not, we should love them and welcome them regardless of what they look like, et cetera, so on. However, let me ask you, like, the, there's been a real rise in uh, Korean churches, and it's the Korean folks tend to stick together, and they would like to be around like-minded people because their culture is kind of unique. I, as a non-Korean, might stay away from, I might steer away from a church like that because I don't know that I would either feel welcome or fit in there. And I'm sure they would welcome me there. And I, if they didn't, then they're, they need to repent of that. I mean, clearly they would, that's the wrong attitude on them. They should want to assimilate. Sure. But is, when does racism and bigotry end and just wanting to associate with people like-minded begin? Like, is it always bad to be like to be around, want to be around like-minded people, but never to exclude people who are not like-minded. Like, right. well, well, you just answered your question, Sal. When when you have to use that word exclude, then it's wrong. When you are excluding or being excluded, it's wrong. You know, so you know, again, if you go to if your local church is you know of one ethnicity, uh, you, you would go there, and there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. Um, but if somebody of a different ethnicity comes to your church and you exclude them, either, I mean, obviously, uh, you can exclude them not directly, but you can exclude them by ignoring them. All right. Um, then that's wrong. Yeah. You know, but most of most, you know, the old saying, birds of a feather flock together. I mean, and, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're not excluding somebody of a different feather. Mm-hmm. Winston, you're going to say something. Yes, uh, um, uh, talking about my personal experience, when I came to this country, um, I realized that a lot of prejudice came uh, into my life because I didn't control little thought that came into my mind. For example, thought like, oh, these people from this country, they are very loud. Or, 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 or these people from this country, they are lazy. Uh, 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 um, and these people from this country, they are not educated. So when we, I think when we start, um, allowing 
those kind of thoughts in our minds, little by little, we create a monster on us that make us act and feel in, cer in certain ways uh, 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 against other people. And, 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 and I think as a Christian, we have to control even how we think about others. And this is something that we have to do every day, you know, um, of our life. Yes, absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that, you know. We all are. We all are. And that's why prejudice can be uh, such a deadly thing, because we can all uh, uh, have those thoughts um, uh, based really on maybe fear or ignorance or whatever the case might be. That's why, you know, we need to guard our heart all the time. You know, sanctification is a process. Um, we don't want to fall into the world's trap of evaluating people other than from who they are and their character. So, Pastor, yes. One, one thing that I, I remember is, you know, um, going to church. You know, the first time that I went to church, I remember how welcoming the people were. And so, um, you know, now, now I look at it slightly different and I say, well, you know, that the Lord brought this person to our church. You know, how would he want us to welcome this person? But again, I, you know, that, that's our, you know, what I feel now, but I remember also how I was welcomed and it was so great, you know, to have somebody to come to with a smile, to be interested in me, to be, uh, you know, wanting to know, you know, uh, what brought me to church and, you know, and all those, you know, uh, questions that, um, you know, just being interested in me is what was, was what touched me the most. They, they wanted to know who I was and I mattered to them just because I was, I was here in church with them and they wanted to invest in me. And that was really touching. I remember how friendly people were. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, and that's, that's what we should always be doing, regardless of what person walks through that front door. All right. Uh, what they look like or how they dress. Um, we need to be that, that, uh, uh, that, welcoming hand of friend, uh, friendship to, to them. Um, and we need to be on our guard because, you know, obviously, like I said, prejudice comes in many, many shapes and forms. And we need to, we need to make sure that we don't uh, uh, fall into a trap there. All right, the second, the second barrier, okay, uh, another P word is priorities. Okay. Uh, one of the most popular barriers to authentic uh, community is the phrase, I'm too busy. Uh, I don't have the time to build a relationship. And, uh, and one of the things I, I think that, particularly in this area, as a Christian, we need to say, well, do I say that about other things in Scripture? that Christ commands us to do. I'm too busy. You know, you, 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 you know, uh, we, we, we say, Oh, I, I'm a Christian. You know, I, I, I want, I definitely want to do these things, but when it comes to community and, and uh, relating to one another, we say, well, I'm too busy for that. So it's kind of like a hierarchy of Christ's commands that we're going to follow or, you know, um, uh, we can't approach the scriptures kind of with that pick and choose uh, method. Uh, if Christ calls us to community and fellowship, which he does, uh, how can we truly say that, you know, we don't have time for it? 
well, it's one of the two greatest commandments is to love one another, you know, to to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Right there, we're talking about community. So that's the greatest commandment. Well, the second greatest commandment. So it has to be our priority. Yeah, and, you know, number, number, two, number two is pretty high on the list. <laughs> you know? Right. So you're right. First, I was going to say something. You know, human, you know, human being... Every human being has the nature of, you know, um, segregating. They want to separate people. They want to sort things out. They want to group people into different factions, different groups, different anything. They want to categorize. And, you know, for us as Christians, it is our job to actually remove that category and barrier that people are kind of trying to box us in, you know, and like you said, when you prioritize, prioritizing for you might be different from prioritizing for somebody else. What you prioritize might be different from what I prioritize, you know, so it's kind of really, really hard to be able to determine, you know, what, you know, people will from different ethnic, um, geographic or whatever, you know, have in mind if they don't, if you don't know them, if you don't interact like John and we still are talking about, if you don't get to know those people, prioritizing and making our time to be with the person, we wouldn't be able to do all of that. Because we don't know those people. Even when somebody walks in through the doors of our church and we see the person probably with all shades of, you know, that it doesn't look the normally accepted way that we perceive people. People are quick to, you know, first of all, wait a minute, step back to examine how they look, to examine how they walk. You know, some people will ask them, are they okay? Asking someone, are you okay? It's also like, you know, being a prejudice because you are assuming that for the person to come into this place, you know, that person might not be okay. You know, so there are so many things, linguas, languages that we Christians tend to see, find ourselves in that has given us this label because of the world system. And like um Jesus came to break the barrier. Jesus lived with those people. He embedded himself into them to understand them and then, you know, spoke to them. You know, if he didn't want to do that, he wouldn't have come. So I kind of have like very, um I'm struggling to kind of like, <laughs> I don't want to say understand, but I'm struggling to kind of, you know, grasp you know, our own perception of prejudice and community because community is not the same from where you look at it and from where I look at it because of how we are raised. Well, you're right in the sense that, uh, you know, going back to the prejudice thing, uh, you know, there there is certainly no room for that. Uh, in in any regards, uh, community is like family, okay. And I think uh, you know family. Uh, uh, I think we can all identify with family. Um, 
but uh, when we come to the second barrier, which is priorities, it's what priorities, uh, how much uh, of a priority is a community and fellowship to us in, within a Christian, within the Christian church. You know, look at Acts 2, 42 to 47. Okay, Acts 2, uh, 42 to 47 reads, and this is uh, right after Pentecost. Uh, the church is growing. Uh, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and the signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And there's no doubt that when we, uh, you know, go through the New Testament, uh, there's a profound emphasis on community, this fellowship, this together, this koinonia, uh, meeting together, praying together, being together. And the church did more than just gather on uh, one, one day a week uh, for an hour or so. <clears throat> New believers spent time with one another, uh, in one another's homes, uh, sharing a meal, sharing life together. And Jesus exhorts us to practice that type of community. Pastor Bob? Yes, Annette. You know, um, I think it starts way before we become mature adults. If we teach our kids from very young to respect other types of people, um, bring them into the home you know, I think they will grow up with that sense of wanting to be part of a larger community, not a very narrow um, path. Because I can, I can even say in our own home, uh, Steve and I, we've never limited who could come into our house and sit at our table and pray and mention Jesus. Um, we've had Ava, my granddaughter, and she always brought her friend in and her hus- her father is definitely jewish and, and her mother and um and and emily has learned about jesus through us just praying now whether she goes that direction or not i don't know but she never felt uncomfortable coming into our church she went to the um you know the summer programs for the kids and she went all the way through sixth grade, you know, with us. And um, so I think it's an acceptance that has to start way before, you know, it, it is wonderful for us to think about how we're going to do it now. But I think we're missing a point where it has to begin from very young and, and eventually as a community, as an older person, you will want to be, and you won't, you'll see things broken down. You won't see these barriers. I don't think so. Um, for instance, when I was growing up, I, I grew up in Lindbrook and, um, and I had a friend who was Lutheran and I was Catholic and uh, Italian, no less. And, um, I was not allowed to go to any 
Protestant church whatsoever. It was like the, the worst thing my parents could have thought, at least my mother. And, um, and I look back now and I go, oh my goodness, look where I am, you know? So I think it's a matter of, uh, we have to stress it in our families, you know, first. And then it, it, I think it will happen, you know, over time. Don't you think? I do. Uh, I, you know, we're not only the uh, overcoming any sort of prejudice, but I think every Christ, Christian home, every uh, Christian parents need to make church and fellowship a priority. Um, and that will demonstrate to their children uh you know, a powerful lesson. You know, we don't let our kids just say, well, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm going to school today. You know, uh, there are certain things that you have to do. All right. And, uh, at least speaking from, from our home, you know, going to church and being part of the fellowship was a must. You know, my, my son got involved in sports and this, I'm just speaking for myself now. I know it's a kind of a touchy subject, but. It was fine until he reached a certain level in, in Little League and the game switched to Sundays. And I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Rob, we just can't do that. We'll have to look for some other activity or sport that, you know, you'd be like, like to do, but we, we, you know, we can't miss church. And, uh, you know, we, uh, I made it a priority, even though, I, you know, I was like working midnights. I worked midnights at the hospital. I'm going to, you know, and Saturday, you know, I, I'd sleep a couple of hours because Saturday was a family day. I was up all day, went to work at midnight, came, came home seven o'clock. Um, but I, you know, I would stay up. I wouldn't go to bed. I would stay up and I would get the family, you know, the family would be ready. We'd go to church. Now, I don't know exactly what I heard because I was so tired. All right. But, but, but the fact is that the impression to the kids was that church is very important. It's a priority in dad and mom's life. And, and thanks be to God, you know, they, they're all in church, uh, to this day. All right. So, you know, uh, prior, making the right priorities in our life, uh, is very important. And uh, I always go by this axiom. Okay. And it's this. People do, people do what they want to do. You know, the bottom line, is if you really want to do something, you're going to find a way to do it. You know, and so many times, you know, you'd ask, you'd tell, you'd invite maybe guys, you know, uh, hey, why don't you join me for church? You know, and, oh, it's my one day off, you know, uh, uh, I need my sleep, you know, but, but at the same, the next Sunday, they'll be up at 4 a.m. to be on the fishing boat with the other guys, you know, or, you know, when we used to go to Syosset, there was a ball field behind the church. And while we're arriving at church, they're already playing softball in the back, you know, but, you know, people do what they really want to do. And that's why our priority must be serving the Lord and being obedient to the Lord. And part of that obedience is seeking out the community and the fellowship that he has brought us into. And that should be a priority in our homes. And we should be teaching that to our kids. Uh, you know, there's only 168 hours in a week. All right. And, uh, a lot of that's spent sleeping at night. And what are we doing with the rest of that time? Esther, I, I wanted to mention one other, uh, aspect of priority. I don't know that, that we seem to struggle with kind of a different spin on the same thing, but 
um, sometimes we we struggle keeping focused on on uh, the task at hand rather than um, the people itself, the community. So sometimes we focus so much on the job to be done and forget that our whole reason of being there is the fellowship with each other and, and making that our priority. And so, you know, I don't know, it was just, I thought it was worth mentioning because it's it's something that we, well, we've struggled it's, with. It's the, the, the thing about, you know, Martha, right? You know, telling right. Jesus, you know, tell my sister to, you know, come help out here. You know, we have a job to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, sure. And, and, you know, that can easily happen that we get so caught up in trying to accomplish something that we fail to take the time to minister. Um, I'm sorry. Somebody said. Yeah, it's Alice. Alice. Um, I, I agree with everything. Um, however, for me, I find, well, I, like, like, uh, Amanda Steve said, <laughs> pardon that, but um, when I first came to Lindbrook, I, I mean, from that very, from that, from just walking through the door, I felt at home. I felt, wow, I, 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 I found the church. I mean, you guys were all, everybody was just so welcoming. And for the first three, four years, I was involved and I wanted to be involved more. My problem is, and I've encountered it not only in Lindbrook, but in a, in a lot of churches. And I know that there's no perfect church, but I find that there are cliques. Um, that, you know, there are things that I have wanted to partake or would have liked to participate but I you know when I find out about it it's already you know generated this you know I just find like it's always the same people that get the opportunity or something like that so um you know I don't know maybe it's me um but um but I see that I I I, I feel that um, you know, there's, there's clicks, <laughs> clicks. I don't know if it's because of, you know, my background, how I grew up, you know, um, cause I grew up in, in group homes, but, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's something I just find like, you know, it's always the same people that get, you know, that are in specific or in most of the activities. Yeah, well, you know, there's there's a both a, a positive and negative side to clicks. Uh-huh. Okay, I'm not particularly fond of the word, but um, I, I uh, the positive the positive side is that these people have developed a good relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, that is is a little bit deeper than perhaps a superficial one. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, they have a functional and it sounds like maybe a formative uh, relationship, and that's a good thing. You can't have that type of relationship with everybody, all right? It's not possible, all right? So we, we should be very thankful that they have that, okay? But then it goes back to that word excluded, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing, uh, and maybe you've done this, uh, Alice, uh, but one of the things is uh, people have to know that, you know, you were looking, you would have liked to have been involved in that particular 
fellowship or whatever, wherever they went, uh, because they're not mind readers. <clears throat> okay. So in a nice way, you could have said, you know, somebody told you, you know, oh, we went down to the beach or something. I don't know. And you could say, well, you know, I, I would I really like to do that. Uh, maybe next time, you, you know, let me know. Mm-hmm. Just so you know that they now know, <laughs> right? Um, and so, and there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Okay. Uh, so, but it comes around then, you know, if they go to the beach like the, the next time and, you know, and they continue to exclude you, right, then, then that becomes the click and it becomes a little bit of a problem, all right? Um, it becomes a barrier to community. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not a good thing. So, you know, there's uh, the positive side and the negative side. All right. Uh, and uh, clicks can, can be hurtful. And if they're, you know, if people, uh, 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 really take a honest look at themselves and saying, you know, we're excluding people, then they need to repent mm-hmm. and they need to open up. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for sharing that, Alice. Uh, uh, John, go ahead. It's real quick. You know, uh, part of the part of Limbrook is uh, is an older church where people have known each other for 30, 40 years. Uh, And then you have new people come in. It's hard for the newer person to, even though we can be very warm and welcoming, us older folk who have been around for a long time, we have to be, and that's me, Peter. I know he's laughing at me, but I've been in the church for a long time. Um, uh, we have to be intentional, really intentional in seeking people out and inviting people, uh, to do things. I, I hear what Alice is saying. I agree with Pastor Bob. Sometimes we, we don't do it intentionally. We need to be intentional about the invite and can't invite everybody for everything. But as much as it could depend upon any one of us, especially those mature in the faith, we need to reach out to, to the newer person and to the younger Christian and bring them along with us. Okay, thanks, John. And uh, let's, let me then uh, move on here to another barrier, which is uh, individualism, okay? Uh, one of the problems that, uh, that we, and particularly in the Western uh, uh, church have is the idea of the individual. Uh, one author, <clears throat> uh, Howard Schneider writes in the community of the king, he writes, too often the church has been seen more as a mere collection of saved souls than as a community of interacting personalities. I thought that was a pretty good statement, all right, because, you know, we are very individualistic. Uh, our salvation is an individual thing, and but we lose the corporate dimension of uh, the fact is that Christ is building his community, his church, and... Uh, uh, it's not a lone wolf individualism. Uh, it's not all about me. It's about us. Uh, again, the plural, you know, um, in, again, in, in Ephesians 2, you know, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And First Peter 2, 4 and 5, it talks about that same type of illustration. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Believers as living stones. In order to be a stone to be useful, it has to have others. All right? You can't build much with one brick. All right? Uh, and Paul uses the illustration of the body. There are many, one body, many parts. Okay? But we are all that one body. So we need to really kind of recapture, rethink uh, uh, the central and the more balanced view of Scripture is that it, it's we, not I. All right? Um, there's aspects of I, yes. But, uh, you know, he puts us in a community, and it's it's very important. And um, so that's that one. And the last one, the last barrier is a very subtle one. And, uh, and I first have to pre- preface uh, this, I think, by saying saying this. Having a friend, whether a believer or non-believer, is a, a special gift. It is, it is great to have a good friend. All right? And everybody needs a good friend. Uh, friendships, though, especially those friendships that are, are deeper than functional, even down to the formative, um, you know, you should count yourself blessed if you have that type of friendship, uh, whether they, whether it's a believer or not. Okay, uh, sometimes a good friend can be a, a non-believer, and uh, you know, but the fact is that uh, you know, even even friendship evangelism uh, promotes having friends with unbelievers, not just for friendship, but for the opportunities uh, that it affords uh, one that. To, for the unbeliever to see Christ in you. All right. Um, but here's, here's the danger. Okay. This next, the last one, uh, that becomes a barrier to Christian community and it's worldliness, worldliness. <clears throat> what if you only have good friends who are unbelievers? Okay. Uh, this might mean that you should examine your heart and to ask, well, why is that? We need to ask the, you know, the, the painful question or, or the honest question, am I more comfortable with them and their worldliness than I am with church folks? Do I enjoy kind of letting my hair down with them and doing the things they like to do more than fellowshipping with believers and doing like what they like to do? And one author put it this way. It's one thing to be located in these environments. It's another thing to draw from them as a source for information and behavior. I'm less concerned with my point of location than I am with my source of information. I'm less concerned with my point of location than I am with my source of information. I often place myself in locations where non-Christian cultural worldviews are strong. My career forces me into situations that are challenging, and I am still curious and adventurous enough to choose locations that are unfriendly to Christianity. I step away only when I recognize the environment is starting to change the way I think. I back off when I realize my point of location 
has become my source of information. And this is a, a, a kind of a well-known apologist, okay? Um, and he's out there mingling with the unbelieving world. And this is, gets us into that being in the world, but not of the world, okay? That tension that we all face. Uh, you know, in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10, Paul writes, I write to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or are the greedy or and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. Then he goes on to say, but he's talking about the believer who is immoral. But Paul recognizes that we are rubbing elbows with sinners every day. All right, but this is the mission field. And Paul says, I, I don't want to take you out of that. that. That's that's the mission field. That's your location. But if you are starting to get your information from that field, then that becomes a problem. I think, Pastor, you've said before, the uh, good company corrupt bad company corrupts good morals. I mean, it's mm-hmm. one thing for you to try to rub off on the unbelievers, but when they start rubbing off on you, then you're in trouble. Exactly, Sal. Exactly, and that's the warning of uh, of the scripture. You have to, that's. I like the way this guy puts it. The difference between the location and uh, you know the information. Uh, you know, we are located pretty much in the world, and we're often around uh, unbelievers, uh, often around bad company, um, but sometimes even our friends. Uh, they just have a different worldview, and that's all right. But when the information that we're getting becomes their information, then we're on dangerous ground. You know, let me uh, let me just also add about the racism and the bigotry. I think we take our sins into church with us. I mean, I don't see my checking my sins at the door of the church. So if I have an anger issue, I very might possibly lash out at somebody at church. If I have a pride issue, I'm going to look down at somebody at church. So I, it's very likely that the people who are the bigoted and the racist, they're probably in their personal life or outside of church, they'd feel the same way. So that's why it's important to examine yourself with your sin issues and say, hey, I've got to make an extra effort to not lash out, listen to the other person before I strike back, whether it's anger, not look down on that person if it's pride, not exclude that person if it's race or if it's whatever. And I've got to work on my own sinfulness because it's sinful. I mean, the, the racism and bigotry is sinful, but so is anger and pride and lust, et cetera. So we don't check our sins at the door. We bring them into church, and we need to work on that in and out of church, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's why we, we are told we have to guard our heart, uh, you know, every day. And the process of sanctification is a process. And, you know, all of us are susceptible, you know, to giving the devil a foothold. And we have to be on guard uh, that we don't fall into that trap. So in this last one here, this worldliness, you know, we have to be very careful because obviously the scriptures want us in the world. Uh, that is the mission field. All right. And uh, and yet we don't want to be uh, come like the world. And so that's a, that's sometimes a real tension and a real balance. We really need the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit in our relationship with others. First John 2.15 warns, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Okay, so that's a real stern warning. Oh, go ahead. I, 
Can you hear me? Yes. Who is that? Yeah. Well, getting back to what Alice is saying, I, many years I've been in the church and watched people come in. People come from other countries, and they're they're very polished. They're well mannered. They're not like our culture, like they're where they stick their nose in the things and get jump into conversations and get involved with all these people. That's not that's not it's not second nature to them. And that's how come they don't, they get a little, little excluded because no one can see them. They're not used to get, get, sticking their nose in the, <laughs> into other, other conversations and people and getting involved. And they're just very quiet and polite. And that's what happens, I think. It says something, I'm not a good sociologist, but I think that something like that is happening. Well, you know, it's, it, you know what's, what's wonderful about being a diverse group of people is the various c- cultures. All right, but we do have to be sensitive to those cultures uh, because you're right, uh, Steve, that, you know, uh, people react a little bit differently. But, you know, when, when there is love, okay, love, they say, should have the skin of the rhinoceros and the heart of, of uh, you know, a feather. You know, um, it, you, you have to, in order to get to know people of different cultures, all right, um, you may have to wade through some of, some of that stuff. You know, it seems like this guy's poking his nose in my business, right? But do I know that guy? All right, it's, you know, is he is that like uh, uh, something that I should be offended about, or is it just is it just the way they do things? Okay, uh, I remember when I was over in, in Russia. Uh, you know, we were on the on the subway and all, and uh, I forget just the exact circumstances, but anyway. The guy, one of the guys came over and they took us aside. It was like me and the three other pastors that were over there teaching. And they said, he came over to us, perfect stranger. He says, you guys are Americans, aren't you? And I said, yeah, you know, we are. He said, how'd you know? He said, you were loud and you were, you were making too much noise <laughs> on the subway. Because nobody was talking on the subway, apparently. And we were laughing and having a great time, you know, like you would usually do on the New York City subway. You know, just chatting and having a good time. But it was, you know, but there was a cultural thing, you know. Uh, they knew right away, you know, that we weren't, uh, you know, from, from Moscow. Um, and uh, uh, so, there, you know, but we should try to enjoy getting to know uh, the different cultures rather than uh, immediately reacting and becoming offended uh, by somebody who may, may view things a little bit different or say things a little bit different. You have to explore that other person and, and, and why, why this is, uh, has come up. And, and that will only help us to appreciate one another uh, even more. And, uh, you know, that, that's all part of a community. You know, somebody, I like, always love the... Uh, illustration that you know the church is a community of porcupines and every once in a while we back up into one another all right but that you know so we shouldn't but we shouldn't run away we should just uh, recognize that uh, you know what has happened and then move on from there yeah, i was just going to say that i it could also be a problem if all the people you associate with are christians I know a number of friends who, uh, you know, who very um, take the Great Commission very seriously. I've met them on mission trips, but they said when they go home, they have no one to witness to because all their friends are Christians. And I have most of the people I know are not Christians. I, I grew up with almost Jewish friends. I don't know. For some reason, I think that that's my mission field or my Jewish friends. 
because everywhere I go, I meet people and befriend them and they're Jewish. So, yes. which is kind of strange because mm-hmm. I, uh, I rented a home in a um, community in the Poconos for many years and it's primarily a Christian community, but there were few Jewish families in there and I befriended those Jewish families and now I'm still friends with them. So I just think, God, okay, I got it. <laughs> they're my mission field. But um, I think that I understand totally that we don't want to be in the world, I mean, of the of and in the world and be influenced by people who are unbelievers. But at the same time, we need to uh, befriend people who are not as well. You know, I mean, not to be maybe the closest of friends, but certainly get to know them to a point where you have things in common with them and to share the gospel and, th- and to be able to invite them to Christian events. Sure. You know, sometimes coming to church is threatening, but when you have, you know, I remember when um, the church had, you know, gathering at Easter and you had, you know, just a huge gathering and, and people just felt not non-threatened or picnics or other events other than a formal uh, church service. So I think it's important also to not limit yourself to just, um, you know, have yes. intimacy and fellowship with Christians. Yes. But yeah, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, that, that, I mean, again, the, that is the mission field and we are, we are to be out there. All right. And it, it's great to have a, fr- a friend of, you know, of any stripe. Um, it, it can be a real, uh, blessing, uh, to us. Um, but the, uh, the, what I, what this is pointing out here is that we have to be careful that we don't, succumb to worldliness ourselves and be more attracted to the worldly friends uh, than we are to, uh, you know, a Christian fellowship. Um, and but then we have to examine that. Well, why is that? Yeah. Am I succumbing to worldliness? All right. Um, yes. Uh, when um, maybe um, it would be good to, to uh, remember uh, Jesus' example. If you notice in the Bible, Jesus spent more time with non, non-Christian, let's say, they put that word there, than with those, uh, that when people, you know, that were far away from God. But the, 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 the good things about Christ that we have to imitate it is that every time that he went to a party, every time that he went to a wedding, every time that he went to a, a, a dinner, he always took time to share the gospel. He, I, I'm, so I think the, what we need to be careful it is, yes, I can have friendship with people from out, from, from people that are not Christian, but if this person died and I never was able to share the gospel with that person, I think I fail as a Christian. And, and, and I think this is in that, yes, I love this person, this person, we have a great relationship, but one of my mission, it is to share the gospel with them. I'm not saying the only mission, I say, but one of my mission. True. I mean, if you have a, a friend, uh, you would want to be friendly to that person. And uh, one of the best things that you could do is to share the gospel with them. All right. And you'll see how good a friendship it is. Uh, you know, many times people have said, you know, their, their old friends, once they start sharing the gospel, fall away. They don't want to hear that, you know, that you've got religion now. All right. Um, 
but a good friend will still be a friend. He may not accept the gospel. Again, that's not our job. All right, that's God's job. Um, but he would still still be your, your friend and respect your, at least respect your your belief. So, yeah, there's always that little, uh, uh, but I think you're right, Winston. Uh, you know, if you have a friend, you definitely want to be able to share the gospel at some point with them. So anyway, so that's, uh, that was some of the barriers to uh, authentic uh, Christian community. Um, it's, uh, again, something for us to examine our, the deepest recesses of our heart to make sure that those things are not there, uh, whether it be prejudice, whether it be individualism, um, whether, uh, you know, it be worldliness, um, and, you know, look at how we are, are we making uh, the church and fellowship a priority for us in our, in our homes, um, because all those will detract and become barriers to uh, experiencing authentic Christian community. So, yeah. Since we've been talking about it now for three weeks, so why, just can you re, just restate for us, why do we need community? Because we started with a definition and God being a triune God and community. Why do we need community? Because we're created for it. Or why, why? Because that, that, you know, why do we need air? Okay. Um, okay. Because we were created uh, uh, for it. It's not good that man would be alone. Okay. Right from the beginning. Uh, this is the way God has designed us for community. Um, Christ didn't come just to save us. He came to build a community, his church. All right. Uh, there is this aspect of, of communal, plural thinking runs throughout scripture, a corporate uh, body. All right. This is who we ought to be. So it's synonymous with the body of Christ. It is definitely the body of Christ. Yes. Okay. All right. That's what we're being being called to. Okay. Um, and and in eternity, uh, it will be uh, a, the body, uh, the community that will be worshiping uh, worshiping God for all eternity. Um, yeah. So it's you know it's not like I say that's why we started with the Trinity mm-hmm. because we are created in that image, which is a plural image. Right. All and right. So- so it's it's part a part of who we we should be. Yeah, and so I, I, in thinking of the body of Christ, the different components of the body of Christ, right? We have the new believers, then we have the people who are saved that have been saved for a while. We have people who maybe are the workers that have been you know saved for a while and they're actually doing a lot of the work. We have people who are you know teachers and and you know and, and elders and, and all that community and all of us make the the body of Christ you know maybe maybe the unbeliever is just seeking the Lord right so he's just starting to 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 be drawn in and so the community is the the body of Christ there are all the different parts that are growing and so our job is now to minister to the newcomer minister to the people who just got saved you know keep encouraging each other to continue to grow and continue to you know uh bring the gospel out. So that, that's how I'm seeing the community be uh, acting together is what is our purpose as the body of Christ. And so that the idea of having a body is so that we can perform a function. Is that, is that right? I'm just asking a question. <laughs> yes. I mean, everything you said was absolutely true. All right. Um, we are there to minister one to another to, so that we all may 
uh, grow and reach that maturity that which uh, the scripture calls us to the maturity of faith together all right um and and uh you know iron sharpens iron we need other people to have that formative influence upon us and to grow us all right others some to teach us some to minister to us uh you know you you can't do it alone um even uh <clears throat> when jesus came down to earth and left um the father and the holy spirit um he often went away in order to have community with them he needed them in a way that he didn't need them in heaven because they were one in heaven but here he took on flesh and there was a component to him that he had not had before and he needed the fellowship of the father and the spirit and they ministered to him often and he was one with them and how much more being it for us that we now have the spirit of god in us that he wants us to reach out to one another because not not one of us is all made to have it all um jesus did never stop being god he had it all but that component of the flesh made him seek the father while here on earth okay all right uh so that's what i have for tonight i'm sorry we ran over time tonight but a uh, good discussion thank you all for your participation all right and uh, we will uh meet again next uh, thursday there was a thursday that uh, oh uh, something's coming up we'll be have more information about that i think it's later on in october the soundview uh soundview banquet um yes when, that was yeah, sometime in october thursday in october so that thursday we won't meet uh, do i want to conflict with that for those who want want to attend that by by zoom all right very good uh let's close in prayer thank you Father in heaven we thank you lord we thank you that uh for your word which leads and guides us we thank you lord uh for your desire for us uh, to be in a community we thank you for the community that is Lindbrook Baptist Church mm. i thank you for the brothers and sisters who are uh have made it a priority lord not only to be part of a member of that church to be to participate in that church but to encourage one another by even by being here lord uh mm. in this class So Lord, we uh thank you for that. We ask Lord that you would uh, bless us and uh continue to uh guide us and grow us in Christ Jesus. Mm. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.